Hello and welcome to the HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm your host, Annabelle Collins, and I'm here this week with Lawrence Dunhill and Nick Tuno. The deadline for all NHS staff working in patient-facing roles to have their first COVID vaccination by February the 3rd is fast approaching, with NHS England expected to issue guidance imminently on how to approach the redeployment and ultimately dismissal of unvaccinated staff. Trust leaders have told us, despite continuing with a softly, softly approach of persuading staff to have the vaccine, they are still deeply concerned um, that the number of unvaccinated staff could threaten some services. And in combination with high staff sickness, this, this could really start to impact on care quality and patient safety. We'll be covering this topic in more detail in this week's episode. But first, today, lots of routine, operational and performance data has been published by NHS England. And Lawrence, you've been taking a look at it. We'll start with, we'll start talking about this this week. Um, I wonder, could you tell listeners, what are some of the most interesting bits of this data? Yeah, sure. The, it, it, in general, it's sort of more of the same in terms of the emergency services. The, the hospitals are really struggling to deal with patients quickly. So the sort of things like the 12 hour trolley waits and the long ambulance handovers uh, have basically stayed at the level that they were at before Christmas. And so it's, um, no, there's no improvement essentially. The what what I thought was more interesting was some of the data on um, discharges, um, and this is something that NHS England nationally and and lots of local people have been uh, very exercised about. Um, it, kind of reading between the lines of of statements that. NHSE have put put out over the last month and they started publishing some new data on this as well um, around the 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 numbers of patients that are are medically fit to leave hospital but are still in hospital because um, the the staff are struggling to get the right support packages in the community so that they can be discharged Um, and so throughout December there were around 10,000 of these of these patients, uh, that's about 12% of the beds um, that were occupied by patients who didn't really need to be there. Um, And the NHSE wanted there to be a kind of dramatic reduction in those in those numbers and has been bombarding trust to some extent with with different letters and guidance of of, on how to do this. and and there and there was a there was a slight reduction at the end of December, um, but uh, only only into the sort of high nine thousands. Um, and in in early January, the numbers have actually increased to 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 around twelve thousand. Um, and so it's it's a bit of it's it's a bit of a sort of mystery as to why they can't why they can't make any headway on this. Um, and speaking to leaders in the in the northwest, where there's been a particular push, a kind of further push this week with letters going out from the regional uh, directorate, um, they they just say, well, social care and community services don't they don't have spare capacity to deal with extra discharges, um, and also their teams, their teams within the hospital that organise the discharges are have been decimated by the um by covid and other and other absences um which which have rocketed kind of to more than 10 percent over the last few weeks 
Um, and and so they're sort of they're scratching their heads as to how they they're supposed to supposed to achieve this. Um, and I suppose ultimately, you, all, all this was about being able to cope with the Omicron wave, and and uh, so NHS England were were thinking we've got all these beds blocked essentially by patients who in theory don't need to be there and so if we can free up a lot of those beds that's gonna give us lots of spare capacity for um for the omicron patients and there, ha there has been a, a big surge in the in the omicron patients as we know especially in the in the northwest um but ultimately, the services haven't completely fallen over. Um, we know that things are extremely difficult, and that shows up in the, in some of these long delays in the kind of trolley waits and the ambulance handovers. And there'll be some really um, kind of poor patient experiences, and I'm sure patient harm as well, resulting from that. Um, but I suppose ultimately things haven't completely fallen over, and it. it uh, and and you haven't had the kind of disaster front pages that, that you sometimes get at winter. So um, I suppose you have to ask how much of a problem are these are these block beds? Um, and maybe it's a case of national leaders felt like they had to, you know, that they're constantly feeling like they have to do something and and uh, and give give advice on what to do. Um, They'll be under pressure from ministers to do that and to to be able to demonstrate that they've done it. Um, but ultimately, local leaders are sort of sc scratching their heads mm. and 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 thinking, well, it, there's not there's not a lot we can do here. Yeah, I was just going to ask, what are some of the things that they are looking at? Some of the solutions? It must be kind of being put under pressure to to come up with something. There can't be that much left in their in their arsenal. Yeah, and I suppose you'd. you'd you know, I think there's there's a frustration at a local level at at these at the at the kind of constant bombardment of different guidance and letters mm -hmm. with instructions of what to do um, when they know that that they it's not really within their gift to do anything about it. Um, yes, they can you know do all do all the usual things that they've been trying for for months to work with councils and primary care services and so on um but ultimately they have tried these things already and uh, and it will have already made the difference that it, that it was possible to make and i was just wondering is the kind of the the i suppose um poor flow and troubles with discharge is that impacting and perhaps still focusing on the northwest impacting um a e departments and handover and surely you'd expect to see kind of um that an impact there yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely is, and because we, we've seen the twelve-hour trolley waits rocket up in the last uh, last few months, and the ambulance and overtimes um, really increased to kind of unprecedented levels, um, and and the and the discharge issue is is a massive part of that. Mm. Um, but what the, what the solution is to it is a is a is a difficult question. Mm. And, and um, I was just wondering whether um, kind of the areas that you've been looking at, have they been able to maintain other services, diagnostics, um, kind of non-urgent operations, that sort of thing? Because that was the big fear before Christmas that this wave was going to um, 
you know, result in um, worsening waiting lists and um, poor care. Yeah, and the, and that and that is ultimately in the northwest, at least, how they and lots of other areas of the country that that's how they have managed to cope with this wave is is they have um, postponed lots of uh, routine elective mm. care and, mm. and and diagnostics uh, because lots of those staff have had to be redeployed redeployed to to COVID wards. Interestingly, not to critical care wards this time because no, that, yeah. there hasn't been that big increase in patients needing critical care, but to general COVID wards and and to try and beef up these dis- discharge teams as well that that have struggled with um, with having enough capacity to to to, to deal with their work. Um, so it, Greater Manchester especially has has um, scaled back a lot of its electives. Um, it's hard to get a grasp of exact uh, in sort of percentage terms, but I, I suspect it's probably similar to previous waves where where they've gone down to sort of seventy percent of of their normal activity, um, and and within that, just trying to maintain the the urgent urgent cases which are known as p1 and p2 priority one priority two um a lot of which a lot of which will be cancer cases mm. and before we move on to talking about um staffing and staff vaccination much more detail I was just wondering um Lawrence, just finally what's the situation at the moment with sort of staff sickness in the, the northwest is it still kind of a top concern for leaders um has it started to ease up a little bit it, it is still the, perhaps the main it, certainly one of the major concerns yeah it, um but but if you remember before christmas we, we had lots of warnings um not just in the northwest but all around the country in, in london in particular i think um of the absence rates could reach 30 40 percent in january mm. um and they have been really they have got really high in in the northwest for example they've, they've got to 12 percent um last week but that does seem to have peaked and it's, mm. it's come down to about 10% this week, interestingly. So mm. um, we haven't got anywhere near those sort of worst case scenarios that were um, that were warned about. Yeah, I'm sure many um, chief executives will be breathing a sigh of relief at those yeah. figures. I um, should I should just say though, in some specialties, it will it, it mm. may have got that high, you know, and, and that will have had a big impact on some on some services, I expect. Absolutely. And I mean, obviously, um, kind of now moving on to our next topic, staff sickness um, is kind of, you know, deeply concerning for leaders. But this is coupled with an an additional pressure um, that has been described to me and I'm sure to you as well, Nick, as an unnecessary um, extra pressure um, to have all staff, um, well, having had their first COVID vaccination by February the 3rd, um, obviously with the aim of having them all vaccinated, um, well, double vaccinated by April, I think that's that's correct. That's correct. Um, and I think, first of all, we'll do a bit of a case study on a story that you've um, written this week um, about Barking, Habring and Redbridge Trust in um, kind of outer East London. Um, and I just wonder what it kind of sprang from a board meeting um, this week. What was the kind of the gist of the concerns that they were raising, particularly about this uh, mandatory vaccination policy? Yeah, so earlier this week uh, on Tuesday, uh, Barking Avering and Redbridge uh, University Hospitals Trust was speaking about the 
kind of mandatory COVID vaccination um, mandate that had been set down for the, by the government last year. And essentially, they heard that with the current numbers that they have of a 10% midwifery vacancy rate and a, a fair proportion of their total staff uh, being unvaccinated against COVID, that they face uh, some operational challenges. Um, so of the 17,550 staff, there's approximately uh, 1,300 workers or about 17% who do not have a vaccination recorded against their name. That means no first dose, no second dose, not a booster. Now, the trust is significantly hopeful that of the 1,300, that, that they will have had their, their jab elsewhere. They might have just not had it recorded. But that still leaves a fair number of them who probably haven't had the booster um, or the first jab or the second jab. And that in and of itself is still posing a, a significant issue. Um, and when you combine that with the, the midwifery vacancy rate of 10%, which is pretty high, it means that you get into some tough uh, situations. And it's worth keeping in mind that this trust is one of the largest maternity service providers in the country but its main birth sense has been closed for the majority of the pandemic and there are doubts that it can be reopened with the current situation as it is and the chef's chief executive matthew trainer uh, told the board meeting that i think it would leave us in a position where we'd have to look at constraining services and focusing on core services establishing a focus on the labor ward looking at complex births and making sure we're doing everything we can to manage it as safely as possible and then he added, the numbers as they currently are would pose us a significant operational problem for women whose births are booked in from April, which is why we're having to put in such an effort to try and turn that around. There's no easy answer to this other than to start training some more midwives five years ago, and that's a bit late for that. So that there are clearly concerns, um, not just at Buckingham, Having and Redbridge, but also at other trusts. I mean, there was a story uh, that we did in the run up to Christmas of Homerton University Hospitals Foundation Trust about the fact that some of their staff are still unpersuaded by getting the, the COVID jab um, before the 3rd of February, at least the first dose and second dose uh, from April onwards. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a tricky situation. Um, and I guess I want to touch on two things I, I would note. The first thing is, especially from Matthew Trainer's letter to, out to staff, is that he made it quite clear that this is a government mandate, it's a law. So even, even putting that into context is trying to make sure that the staff are understanding that it's not an imposition from the trust leaders to say that this is what we want to do. It's it's something that was passed through Parliament and has gained parliamentary approval. So irrespective of whatever trust leaders think about it, whether they agree or disagree, and indeed um, if uh, some people, be it from trade unions and so on, have said that this is not the right way to go about it, it's about encouragement. Irrespective of what they think, it's still the law. So being in contravention of that law would, would obviously deal some serious repercussions. So that was made quite clear in the letter. But also the second thing is, and that this is a theme that I picked up from the Homerton story as well, was that trust leaders are trying to make sure that they put across that Yes, some of the staff are unvaccinated, be it for whatever reason, maybe they disagree with it, maybe they just don't feel comfortable and so on and so forth. A multitude of reasons that 
they shouldn't be villainized or demonized for for being in this position. And it's about you know creating those appropriate and supportive environments to encourage them to look at potentially getting the vaccine. Um, and and that was actually you know put across in in his speech um, at the start of the meeting where he said, I think it's very important we recognize and respect the concerns of some members who have not had their vaccination. Looking at social media and some of the coverage of this has been quite an entrenched set of positions taken around it. And yet talking to a number of our staff who are concerned, people have all kinds of different reasons for having concerns about this. And he said, I think we need to be careful not to present it as almost as an unethical thing to not have the vaccine because what this risk doing is driving people into quite hard positions. And that's the tightrope that some trust leaders are are walking is trying to while encourage their staff who are unvaccinated to get the jab to to you know as a condition of, of employment mm. but but also just make sure that they're not felt like they are you know basically demons for not for not doing this and and obviously it's a very sensitive topic but it's one that they have to tread very lightly um but at the end of the day, even with all their efforts, as much as they encourage and encourage and try to talk to, to staff, this is happening whether whether staff want it to or not. It, it just seems to be the reality. It's unlikely that the government will will, will step back from this position. You know, the, the Royal College of Midwives um, called for an immediate delay, as has the Royal College of Nursing. Whether that materialises, it seems unlikely at this point and we're only a few weeks away out from the first jab being um, um, mandatory and then obviously sometime later will be the second jab. So yeah, very sensitive situation and, and I think that um, you know people in NHS England reading that story on Barking will have been a bit concerned to see that this is the kind of situation that one of the trusts is in, let alone one of the largest maternity providers in the country. How how many um, staff are we talking here, uh, Annabelle and Nick, mm. in, in in terms of na nationally? So it's all slightly. The figures are all slightly rough at the moment. I think it's as far as I'm aware that is there isn't a robust kind of data collection um, kind of nationally on how many staff haven't been jabbed yet. But they're working on kind of an estimate of five percent um, of the total number of NHS staff. So it's kind of around 60,000 mm. um, split across, you know, all the different um, provider trusts, um, which could in an individual trusts be quite a small number of people. But as Nick's just, you know, described very well that these services are already running short and um, relying, a lot of them relying on temporary staffing to keep them going. So, you know, losing, even losing five staff members could be absolutely kind of detrimental I mean the service just can't run safely anymore yeah does it it seems like a huge risk if it, that that they potentially going to lose 60,000 staff mm. and and mm. you know for some specials some services that it could be devastating if it's you know high, higher percentage than five percent yeah and it is it is this all is this all worth it? I think that's a good a good question. I think it's it's become a well it's, it is political. It's um as Nick said, I think that and I could be proved wrong about this, um, perhaps over the next couple of weeks, but the February 3rd deadline does look to be very much still in play. 
Um, you know, I've been told it's an issue the Prime Minister himself is 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 keen on, is keen to keep that deadline. Um, so yeah, I think it it will be. I think a delay is perhaps unlikely. I'm sort of hedging my bets a bit there. Um, but um, it's interesting. It's an interesting question. People are saying, well, they're not sure it is worth it because um, kind of, you know, clinically you can you can still catch COVID even if you've had three jabs and you'd still need to isolate and um, you can still feel unwell perhaps for longer if you're unlucky. It's not a silver bullet. It doesn't mean it, it doesn't, you know, doesn't the, the risk of transmission isn't zero. Um, some people are arguing that there are better better things that trust can be doing, that NHS, NHS England can be looking at, particularly around um, infection control measures, um, the sort of PPE staff wear, that sort of thing. Ventilation, another big thing. Um, how, um, you know, fundamentally sort of the design of hospitals is not um, conducive to preventing um, the spread of COVID. Um, so perhaps they're barking up the wrong tree. Mm. I'd just like to add that it's as you alluded to, you know, th this could be very, very serious for some smaller trusts where they don't have the style to be able to replace those that have left because of not being vaccinated against COVID by the deadline. So it's it's really, really concerning in some areas and, and you know, trust leaders are doing as much as they can with with what they with what they um have been told to do to to you know encourage as many of their staff to get the vaccine as possible but there's only so much that they can do and 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 i think I'm, i might be wrong but i think that this that there was thought that this deadline was supposed to be during christmas and it was now coming in april but this has been pushed back a bit because obviously the worries were that doing this in during christmas time would be much much worse so the fact that it's even been pushed back a little bit to april um means that it you know it's it's been thought about for a while and and it is probably not going to be brought back now the government would would be you know looking pretty bad if they decided with the week to go up you know what this is not the right move we're not gonna we're not gonna do this anymore um and it would just cause unnecessary um I suppose strive for them in, in at the time when they could do with less of that, especially with what's gone on this week. Um, yeah, it's a really, really tough situation, and I think the barking story really kind of underlines some of the positions that some trusts are in. It's only one trust, but there are more than two hundred of them across the country, which will all have their own different sort of scenarios that they're going through. Um, you know, for barking is the, the pressure areas are women's and children's health, uh, geriatric services, the emergency departments and some clinical support services. But there might be divisions in those areas where, you know, they have really, really highly skilled, very senior experienced people who they cannot afford to lose, but may lose because they haven't been vaccinated against COVID. And then when you're in that situation, you desperately need that experience. Mm -hmm. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to get? You can't, it's not as simple as going to a supermarket and kind of getting more of the after shelf. So, yeah, uh, the next few weeks are going to be very, very tough. I mean, obviously, COVID is causing lots of issues, but losing staff to fight that is going to be even harder as well, harder still. I imagine it's just a huge sort of legal undertaking as well and mm. re really complicated to go through all the sorts of HR processes like d dismissing staff is not easy to do no. at any time and if you you know no, dismissing these sort these sorts of numbers all at the same time it's just it's going to be a huge amount of work for people 
And I think um, I spoke to um, kind of uh, employment lawyer on this a few months back, actually, when um, care care homes, well, the care sector had to do this first. And I think NHS trusts will be looking to see how, what's happening in the care sector, how they've navigated it. As you say, it's dismissing a, a you know a member of staff, a full time member of staff, is incredibly difficult. And I think that trusts will be very nervous that they could be, you know, facing more employment tribunals. I don't know what you know. I'm not an expert on this by any means, but um, you know they could be looking at um, you know various bits of evidence how you know, how the trust went about persuading staff to have a vaccine or, you know, a notice of dismissal or, um, you know, it could, like a new kind of legal precedent could be set, maybe, I'm, I'm not mm. sure, but I think it could be really messy. And I think that's, you know, expensive. And, um, you know, if we're talking about quite a few members of staff, um, really time consuming as well. Um, and, you know, I spoke to someone yesterday who said that, yeah, although the majority of their staff are vaccinated, the majority can be anywhere between 51% and 100%. So they're, they're sort of, you know, that this isn't a, a tiny little slither of people, um, I don't think. But um, but I think I think for um, the current staff, it's really complicated. But for future staff, it will be part of their contract. Mm. So in some ways that makes it a little bit simpler if you don't yes. have your vaccine you can't get a job simple uh, you know um but as, as i think you were saying nick that um different bits of the country i don't know we don't know how robust trust trusts are going to be on that it depends mm. maybe how desperate you are um also the role of the cqc when it comes to uh, well what that's going to look like whether they will be um kind of rigorously kind of checking that the trust is only employing people who've been double or even boosted it might end up that all nhs staff need to be at least boosted or maybe beyond that have um, a vaccine every six months or a vaccine when there's a new variant we just don't know what it's going to look like um so I, this just seems like a never-ending kind of um difficult kind of bureaucratic challenge for, for leaders. I mean, this this is far from over. This is very much the, the beginning of what will, as you've just said, a never ending situation. I just remembered also that, you know, they say all, all patient facing staff should have the, the, the COVID jab by the, at least the first dose by 3rd of February and 2nd by April um, or be you know, redeployed. You also have to have the the space and capacity to redeploy those people. It's not just as simply, yeah, we'll put them <clears throat> in a different area where they're not facing patients. Some some hospitals just don't have that capacity, don't have that space. Homerton said that um, that they probably don't have the ability to redeploy. So it's either you know probably get the jab in some cases or or face dismissal. The the those are the only options. <clears throat> so as much as redeployment. Is potentially um, an option. Um, it depends on 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 who's able to to provide it. And I think Lawrence, you brought up an uh, an interesting point in um, you know depending on the enforcement of of this in in different trusts, where you know one trust may be following it right to the letter and making sure that these um, staff are you know. Um, recorded as having had their jab and so on there might be other uh, another trust where that's not as astringent so do staff then move around to, to find a trust where there's less of that kind of kind of microscope i guess uh, to put it a different way you know it's it's, it's a really really pernicious issue 
And I'm sure this certainly won't be the last time um, we discuss it on this podcast. And if any listeners out there do have any views um, to share on it, you can um, make contact with any of us. Um, But that's time for me to wrap up this week. Thanks both so much for joining me. And just a reminder that HSJ Health Check podcast is available every week on our website and across all main podcast channels. Please don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.